everyone, and welcome to Teach Me Something, the podcast where I research a Monty Python joke and make it into a whole episode. And do you wonder how I could have possibly turned that into a whole hour of serious podcasting? I'm Melissa. And I'm Everett. Uh, to clarify, I'm, I'm definitely joking. This is the first episode I have created entirely um, centered or inspired by a Monty it's Python inspired, joke. Yeah. Inspired by... Um, but I did, I did research the uh, speed of an unladen swallow in an episode a lot earlier on. If you're, it just wasn't curious the central that theme. One. It wasn't the whole podcast. It was just like a paragraph. Right. Right. Um, by the way, if you are a person listening to this who hasn't yet seen the Monty Python Spanish Inquisition sketches, spoilers. Uh, just go ahead and and give those a Google. Uh, give those a watch. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not, of course, necessary to watch to understand the podcast I'm about to do, but I, I still recommend uh, highly, yes. So the theme of our podcast is actually that there isn't a theme at all. <laughs> and it, you know, maybe that's not great for the marketing side of things, but it works for my purposes, which was really just I wanted some extra motivation to look into things I had questions about. Of course. And the other day... After making, you know, probably my 1,000th nobody expects the Spanish Inquisition joke, I kind of stopped and thought, I have questions about the Spanish Inquisition. Did somebody expect it? Did they all expect it? Should they have expected it? Of course. Um, My questions mostly were, I mean, they were varied, but they were mostly like, I don't know anything about this. I should know more about this. I went to Catholic school for 12 years. Um, not that I'm particularly like bragging about that or proud of that, <laughs> but just saying we didn't exactly get taught all the it wasn't crazy one of your years. things the Roman Catholic Church did. Um, <laughs> so for me, going into this episode, here's about all I knew about Spanish Inquisition. Catholic Church. Mm-hmm. With you so far. Late 1400s, I think. That you was lost my best me guess. Torture was involved. I knew that one. Uh Uh-huh. And I thought, going into this, I thought, I think there were some other inquisitions. That's that was my gut feeling about the about the matter. And that was um That's about um, all I knew. You you knew a quarter more, well, a third more than I did, because I knew three of those things and you knew four. I mean, if I were to add something, (laughs) it would just be that nobody expected it, but that comes from a joke, not from Exactly. I think I think that the reality is the exact opposite of that. And I will prove that by the end of the episode. Not that I need to prove it. If you go online, everyone else already knows this. It's not like I discovered something new, but I will prove to you, person listening to this who might have no idea what I'm talking about, that everyone probably expected the Spanish Inquisition. Okay. Great. Well, how about you teach me something? Perfect. All right. So let's um, get this out of the way. The the Inquisition was not an event. It was an institution. It was an office okay. of the Roman Catholic Church. Like with officials and a mandate and all those good things. Yeah, it was like a like a cabinet, like a, you know, division. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. That's what the Inquisition was, kind of. We're going to get into it later, but the Inquisition actually just was referring to the process of trials, but the Inquisition was was the office. Let's let's kind of simplify it. And they launched many Inquisitions in areas. Like Spain. Like Spain. And so what was the overarching purpose though of the Inquisition? The the office of the Inquisition. 
to surprise people. What was its purpose? <laughs> Again, no, they they weren't they weren't super clandestine. They were a little kind of overt with their mm. uh, with their actions. You know, they 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 laid it on thick. Okay. <laughs> they weren't subtle. You're crushing the meme already. Fine, go um, for it. I'm trying. I have a lot of stuff to get through. Okay. And um, it's a lot of history and a lot of people's names that are very confusing. So um, I got I got to push on here. So the purpose of the Inquisition is one one purpose only. Very focused: discovering, punishing heresy. Okay. Heresy is what the Inquisition is after. Um, before the year 1100 CE. Um, the Catholic Church, you know, I mean, they still dealt with heresy. They put you in prison, maybe for life, but um, they didn't really put people to death much. They didn't torture you. Um, there was a death penalty in some countries civilly for heresy. Okay. So, it, yes, it happened in some certain countries. But but in general, you know, they, they started out a little lighter touch. <laughs> and then two things kind of happened. One is that Roman law became the dominant civil judicial system. And two is that the church really starts to get concerned with squashing any competing religious movements. They get more and more paranoid and concerned about the groups splintering off and the groups around them, all of that. Um, and so out of these kind of circumstances, historically, the Inquisition is born. Um, they could stamp out the little sects of Christianity by just labeling them heresy. And, you know, the Roman law is what allowed for the use of torture kind of to be brought in because that was an element featured in Roman law. Um, and there are actually some that argue that the Inquisition was not born out of a desire to oppress people. It was actually the Pope's attempt to stop unjust executions because there were people that were just lynching whoever they said was a witch and killing everyone that they decided was a heretic. So maybe the Pope was trying to put in structured trials to give okay. people a chance to have proper justice and your neighbor couldn't just burn you for being a witch if they decided to. Okay. Some argue that. I don't buy it, but some argue that. So um, the first kind of group of inquisitions that happened is kind of known collectively as the medieval inquisition. Um, and the first inquisition within that medieval inquisition was the episcopal inquisition okay uh and that's not episcopalians that religion was not oh okay. that's where that, i thought you were going okay no no they come from the same root word though okay um so the episcopal as um, inquisition started in 1184 when pope lucius iii issued a papal bull called ad abolendam which is for the purpose of doing away with you know, doing away with those darned heretics. Um, it was called Episcopal because the bishops were the ones in charge of searching their diocese for the heretics. Bishop in Latin is Episcopus. So oh, okay. these both come from the root word for bishop, the religion. And, and So the bishops this. were supposed to root they, out yes. the heretics within yes. their domain. Yeah, and, and it was actually kind of a, a nice tame relative to what was going to come after. They, they were mainly just using debate and discourse and preaching to try to to explain um, the church teaching better to people and get them to be a better Catholic. Like, kind of, okay, okay. And then Pope Innocent III, who Uh-oh. is the next pope. Yeah, they don't trust a name. That's like. foreshadowing in my mind. <laughs> Anyways, keep going. So he really used the church to oppress, well, 
they're already being oppressed, further oppressed certain groups, specifically the Cathars and the Waldensians. Mm-hmm. Um, and Pope Gregory the Ninth was up next, and he's the one that officially starts the Inquisition and establishes it as an institution within the church. Um, we'll talk more about Gregory in a little bit, but I bet you have two questions at this point. Yes, two. Two. One is, what is a papal bull? No, yes, like, that one. And, yes, and two that one is a question. Is what or and who are the Cathars and the Waldensians? Waldensians, that's the word. Well, I was really hoping they wouldn't get rid of the Waldensians because it's a fun name. <laughs> um, I mean, I don't know if you had those questions, but... Pretty close. I did while I was re- like researching. So, so here are the answers. Um, a papal bull is uh, an official document or letter from the Pope. And it's called a bull because they use a lead seal. They put on on all the documents. They seal it this lead seal, and the seal's called a bulla. So it's okay. a papal bull. So really, whenever that's going to come up, like three or four more times, it's just like a pope's statement, okay. pope's decree, pope's official. I said this. It's not a, a paper cow slash bison, which it's I was hoping for. Most definitely not that. No. So as for those people, those groups of people I mentioned, um, the Waldensians, is, it's a much quicker story, so we're going to go okay. there first. Um, so they're originally known as the poor men of Lyon, and so they started in France. Uh, the Waldensians, they were like a Christian ascetic movement that started in the late 12th century, and then they kind of spread to Italy a little bit. Um, so like asceticism, is that how you say that? Maybe. Do you, Depends do if they're you know, not basic or not. Okay, ascetic lifestyle is when you abstain from any earthly pleasures. Oh, you just okay. focus on spiritual goals. Ascetics get rid of their all material possessions. They refuse physical pleasure. They fast. They just kind of concentrate and meditate. So, you know, monks like, uh, you know, Buddhist monks, like mm-hmm. the, that's an ascetic type of lifestyle. Okay. Go so ahead. these Waldensians are like ascetic Christians. Um and they kind of came into conflict with the Catholic Church. And then by about 1215, they were declared heretical because they weren't willing to recognize the um, priorities of the local bishops over their own priorities. They, you know, cared about what they cared about and the bishops didn't. And they disagreed. So um, apparently they're heretics now. Um, <laughs> and... Pope Innocent III offered the Waldensians the chance to return to the church, and many did that, and they called themselves the poor Catholics. But then many didn't, and they were, like, very heavily persecuted um, during the medieval Inquisition. They were um, kind of absorbed into the Protestant movement in the 16th century. I was going to say, and they don't have any, you know, wealth or things to defend themselves with, so... No, they certainly didn't have anything. You'll find a common theme what i found a common theme was was that a lot of the groups that the church was trying to get rid of or that were heretical were all the groups calling out the catholic church for their amassing of wealth and people within the catholic church of their amassing of wealth and calling them hypocrites and the people that were most opposed to the things the catholic church was doing it was it was surprising how they could find so many legitimate religious reasons to disagree with these groups when they all have a very common um theme uh now onto the the cathars are also known as the albigensians oh albigensians albigensians 
for the city of Albi. Trust you. Albi or Albi in South France. That's where they started. Okay. Um, So the Episcopal Inquisition, that earliest one, was mostly started to stop the spread of Catharism. These people, the Cathars. Catharism is a Christian dualist or Gnostic movement. You have to break that down for me. And I certainly am. I'm about to. Don't worry. Okay. So Gnosticism is kind of like a emphasis on personal spiritual knowledge over like orthodox teachings and practices. And it's really like um, kind of just a focus on more of an emotional relationship with God as opposed to a strict follow these set of rules. Yes. It's more... Yeah, more of a mystic, just like emotional connection to God type of thing. Um, again, to me, it doesn't seem important enough to fight ever, but whatever. Dualist is what it sounds like to gods. Yeah, okay. Well, I was going to wonder about an, that. An element of two gods. So they were kind of existed between the 11th and 14th centuries. Um, also popular in the same countries, Italy and France. Their followers referred to themselves as the good Christians, but the church refused to recognize... That you know, terminology? Their Christianity at all. They're like, no, you're not Christians. We don't, you don't, you don't count. Um, you know, lots of things bug the church. The, the Gnosticism, uh, you know, that bugged the church. They, they like their orthodox and very scriptural teachings. Um, the dualist aspect of the religion really bugged the church. The Catholics, Catholics are dogmatically monotheistic. They believe yeah. there is one God. Who made everything. Right. Cathars. I find the beliefs of the Cathars are very interesting. So Cathars believed that there was a good God, who was the God of the New Testament, creator of the spiritual realm. Okay. And then there was an evil God, the God of the Old Testament, creator of the physical world. And they kind of identified him almost as Satan. Okay. Yeah. And the Catholic Church really didn't like this. They didn't like the practices that the Cathars did. Like um, the Casalamentum ritual was the a sacrament unique to the Cathars. It was um, their most important kind of ritual that they had. Okay. Um, it baptized their members and raised them up to a status of perfect. The church didn't like that. No. Um, not cool. So... Cathars believed human spirits were the sexless spirits of angels trapped in the material realm of the evil god, destined to be reincarnated until we achieve salvation through the Casalamentum ritual. You can see why it's their most important ritual. Um, They perform it when death is imminent and hopefully, and they hope that they will return to the good god upon their death. Okay. Like break the cycle of reincarnation and, and ascend basically. Yeah. Okay. Um, And here's another reason the church didn't like the Cathars, which is, in fact, a never-ending list. Um, The Cathars gave women uh, responsibility. The Catharism gave women independence and opportunity and viewed them as equals because women... You can't do that. Yeah. So, yeah, women actually were allowed to reach the rank of perfecti or perfecti, which meant they could actually administer the cult. Consolamentum, which again is the most important thing. Right. So they're saying women can perform the most holy sacrament, which like is the biggest heresy. The Catholic Church would be having a huge fit right now. Because again, the Cathars think that people are sexless. They think that, you know, you're gonna be repeatedly reincarnated until you 
you know, deny the material world hard enough to get out of the cycle, but a man can be reincarnated as in a woman's body and vice versa over and over. And, right. and the spirit is the only important part. And therefore women were equally capable of being spiritual leaders. Anyways, you can see everyone, you can see why the Catholic church hated these guys. They're trying to hunt them down. <laughs> so from the beginning of his reign, Pope Innocent III wanted to end Catharism. So he sent missionaries and he persuaded the local authorities to kind of like rough him up and act against them. And, and then in 1208, Pope Innocent's papal legate um, was murdered while returning to Rome. <laughs> he'd been, don't worry, he'd been gone excommunicating someone for being too soft on the Cathars. <laughs> Excommunicate from the church because you're too lenient. What a jerk. Pope Innocent III kind of decided then to abandon this whole um, missionary thing. And he launched what was called the Albigensian Crusade in 1209. Mm. And if you know anything about the Catholic Church and you hear the word crusade, you're right. The crusade ended in 1229 with the defeat of the Cathars. Shock. That's a priest. It's almost like when Roman Catholic Church goes to war against you, you have no hope. Um, Catharism underwent persecution by the medieval Inquisition after this until it was eradicated by the Inquisition in 1350-something around there. Okay. Yeah. But... As we said before, it is Pope Innocent III's successor, Gregory IX, that is actually credited with establishing like the Inquisition. Okay. That's when people say the start date is. We, we laid some groundwork, some framing. Little steps. Yeah. Significant steps. So in the year 1227, Gregory appoints a board of inquisitors to judge heresy cases in Florence. And in 1231... The Inquisition officially starts. The, the official rules come out. He makes decrees. Um, he sets up the court systems. The, the decree said you would get life imprisonment with salutary penance, which is like literally yeah, saying prayers as penance. Um, and if you confessed and if you repented. But if you did not, then you should die. That mm. was his original kind of declaration of, of the rules of life in prison, doing prayers or dying. Yeah, they're apparently. not really that different. Yeah, I know. I think that it's it's silly because later a lot a lot of the inclusion stuff was like, no, if you confess, then like they let you go, like it was fine. Yeah. So I don't know if they, things just Gregory was maybe just kind of a a jerk or you know sure. they're more misinterpreting what he was saying here. But um, so according to Gregory the Ninth's formal rules, the Inquisition would only be for Catholics, just for the salvation, coercion, and punishment of Catholics. Hmm. Jews and Muslims, we'll leave them alone, they said. That was their, we only care about Catholics. To each their own. It's not heresy if you don't believe in our God kind of thing. Seems like a good attitude. In in reality, it doesn't work out, but it seems like a good attitude. Um, They were going to look at heresy, but also he kind of mentioned some things about, like, infidelity. Mostly just those two things. Okay. Um, Heresy and infidelity. In France, then Pope Gregory appoints Robert Le Bourge, a former heretic, actually, as oh. the Inquisitor. Takes one to no one, I guess? Clearly. He once, apparently, if the rumor is, he had 180 individuals burned at the stake in one day. And uh, a lot of other bad things. And so he was finally thrown in prison. Hmm. So that didn't work out so great. But don't worry, they never gave up, did they? No. So, and now here's when I tell you that the term inquisition comes from the Latin word inquisitio, 
seems reasonable. Which I can see the connection between the two. Literally any court process based on the Roman law. Okay. Um, so today, when we say Inquisition, it kind of could apply to any of the institutions within the church. Mm-hmm. Or really, historically, though, the term really refers to the process, the judicial court process, not an event or even the office. But we use it for lots these days. Um, so besides the Cathars and the Waldensians, there were other groups, obviously, investigated during the medieval Inquisitions. Um, which mostly was in France and Italy, like the spiritual Franciscans, the Hussites, and the Begwines. Okay. Names, names, names. Yeah, name dropping. Good. Um, so what did they do to piss off the church? Question Call them greedy. Mark? Um, yeah, okay. So the spiritual Franciscans, they called out the church on its masses of wealth and called up church members who were wealthy. Yeah. Yeah. The Hussites... I have no idea what they did besides being kind of a proto-Protestant group. So I guess just splitters. They're splitters mm. to make another Monty Python yeah. reference. They wanted to go play There's, their own game and that's They wanted not good. to have a, like their own form of Christianity. How dare they? Um, and then there was the Begwines who honestly were just like a group of lonely women that all lived together in like communes together and vowed to live their life by God and everything. But the church hated them because they didn't take the official church vows and wouldn't give up all their property. Hmm. And if it was all women, then obviously they were led by women too. That couldn't, that couldn't be allowed. Yeah. I mean, who knows with the church, right? There's so many reasons that they um, don't say, but <laughs> we all know that they're thinking. Um, so one of my biggest questions going into this was, how did the Catholic Church justify the use of torture? Like, like when did churches pretend start to pretend they had morals? Because I guess it wasn't back then, you know, is my question. Because obviously they're okay with torture. How did they justify that? Um, not very well, in my opinion. But okay. I'll let you be the judge here. So, officially, torture wasn't sanctioned by the Pope until 1252. So, and then it became official. Exactly. Yeah, I'm just I told reinforcing. There'd be, more, yeah. there'd be more pepple bulls mm-hmm. with lead bull on there. Um, on April 6, 1252, the papal inquisitor of Lombardy was killed by Cathar sympathizers. Sure. And so, seemingly in response to that, um, May 15th, 1252, Pope Innocent IV. Hmm. Yeah, those innocents. He issues a papal bull called Ad Extra Panda. and Adding more pandas. <laughs> it's just Latin words. It's okay. <laughs> There's no pandas involved in the okay. making of this podcast. So Ad Extra Panda. Got it. Keep uh-huh, going. Yeah. Ad Extra Panda um, was officially to authorize the use of torture as an interrogation technique by the Inquisition. Great. And That'll always get truthful remarks every time. It also defined the circumstances under which they were allowed to use the torture. Okay. And it gave rules. And, I mean, okay, so I mentioned judicial torture had become kind of a common practice in the 11th and 12th centuries due to the whole Roman law thing. So by 1252, it was commonplace in secular courts and tribunals. Torture was what everyone did. Um, so the argument presented, moral argument here, in Ad Extra Panda, in Moral Defense of Torture, is that heretics are murderers of souls. 
as well as robbers of God's sacraments and of the Christian faith. They are to be coerced as are thieves and bandits into confessing their errors and accusing others. Mm-hmm. So the secular courts torture thieves all the time. Why can't we torture these morality thieves? Yeah, and have them you know point out everybody else. Um, yeah, that part was especially kind of funny, huh? Um, yeah, it just seems like you're about to build a chain of tortures, but fine, keep going. I would like to be clear. There were rules, and I'm going to tell you the rules. There okay. were boundaries. Okay. And none of it's okay. And I'm not justifying it, but it was pointed out several times in the research that civil courts at the time were awful. Like, right. they tortured everyone with literally no rules and... Therefore, the Catholic Church was terrible, but they were slightly less bad than other types of courts. And they tortured way less and also had the rules. Okay. So um, I, I don't know if that needed to be out there, but I read it so many times in my research, I thought I would uh, let everyone know that maybe they were less awful than other people. Good, good for them. So here are the rules. Okay. Rule number one, and I'm going to say it in Latin because it sounds cool. Okay. I think. Is kitra membri diminutionem et mortis periculum. I'm using Strange deaths. <laughs> Torture can't threaten life or limb. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Second, it could be used only once. I don't know what that ended up meaning because that clearly didn't... Stick. That rule didn't stick. Nope. And third, that the Inquisitor had to think the evidence against the accused was rock solid, virtually certain there were no gaps or doubts left. So that one didn't stick either. Then, well, probably not. You're accounting for every single human having to be responsible with a set of laws. Nah. So this uh, palpable actually also gave, like, the state a portion of the heretic's property in return for the state carrying out the penalty. Oh. Yeah, that's what that papal bull had said. Yes. Yes. They made, they made a little deal to not get their hands as dirty. And only give them a portion of the... <laughs> portion. Okay. I know. And we still get to keep the rest. Yeah. Yeah, that's a pretty good business deal. Uh I honestly, I'm overwhelmed sometimes when I learn about the history of the Catholic Church. It's just... Think about how much wealth you could accumulate as a Catholic Church doing this. Think about how much wealth they did accumulate and they have accumulated and that they have in their base. I don't want to even talk about this. Okay, so in the Catholic Church, a religious order is a community of consecrated life. You take vows. You have to live there. You stay there. You have okay. certain vows depending on your order. Every order has a different focus, a different goal, a different okay. inspiration. Like Jesuits are an order, Franciscans, Augustinians, Benedictines, Trappists. I'm sure you've heard like a Trappist monk or yeah. like a... Yeah, I've heard most of yeah, those. So or the, all of those, so, I should say. So that is a religious order. Okay. Okay. Um, in 1233, we're back to Gregory the Ninth. Because he, by papal bull, will, again, another papal bull, he'll place the operation of the Inquisition into the hands of an order called the Dominicans. Okay, You've probably too. heard of them, yes. Yeah. So the Dominicans were actually only recognized in the church in 1220, so very recently before 
this happened. Um, and their mission was to teach and to preach. Uh, they were to employ the power of reason in support of faith. They were to debate, like, um, they were called the Order of the Preachers. Okay. Uh, Dominicans were founded in Toulouse, France by St. Dominic. He's a Spanish priest. And in order to preach effectively, Dominic's new order was trained in the, like, local languages to preach in the local languages because that wasn't done. You okay. preach in Latin and then poor people don't know Latin and then you don't reach them. Right. Um, so, unfortunately for the Dominicans, um, their name has kind of been forever tied to their participation in the Inquisition. Um, so, the, actually, the role of the Dominicans inspired a pun that was very funny if you're a Latin nerd. Um, you know, Dominicans, that they are Dominicanus, which is hounds of the Lord. Okay. That's not what, obviously, that's not the word Dominican comes from. It comes from a guy's name, Dominic. Oh, okay. That's, that's why fun, it's a pun. Sure. That's why it's a pun and not just like, that's where the name comes from. It's not a root. So, yeah, Domin- so anyways, they became known as God's dogs or the hounds of the Lord. People were terrified of them. You know, all that, all that good stuff. Um, although the instructions for interrogations did limit the use of torture, the tendency was to exceed them. <laughs> Shock. Yeah. Shock. Um, many Dominicans didn't obviously participate. It wasn't all of them. A lot of them resigned. A lot of them refused to torture. Um, but yeah, the damage was done. The Dominicans uh, don't have the nicest reputation. Yeah. And so now we arrive at the Spanish Inquisition. We do. You aren't surprised, I bet. Not really. Uh, you've seen the way the Catholic Church has been acting. Uh, this was exactly what was expected. And so the Spanish Inquisition, as as you may have imagined, was in Spain. My guess here is some set of people told the Catholic Church they were too greedy or had too much money. And suddenly an Inquisition pops up over there. How close am I? Actually not close. Wow. This this. So they shouldn't have expected it then. (laughs) The origin story is a little off. But okay. they still should have expected. <laughs> this story is is uh, about money and power, yes. Hmm. But I would place it more squarely on the shoulders of greedy monarchs this time than the greedy Catholic Church. Kind okay. of half and half. We'll give a we'll give it equal. They can share. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So I'll tell you about it here. What is going on in Spain at this moment in history, though? I think we need to know that. Okay. Um, because everyone in my research kept talking about the Reconquista. So Spain is just coming to the end of the Reconquista. I'll tell you about that. Don't worry. Great. (laughs) Unlike most of Western Europe, medieval Spain is kind of multi-ethnic, multi-religious. It has Muslim populations, Jewish populations, like large ones. Um, the Moors, who I've heard that name a million times. They're Muslims. I didn't know that. They're the okay. Muslim population of Spain and Portugal. They ruled most of the Iberian Peninsula, that okay. piece yep. of land on which Spain and Portugal sit, mm-hmm. um, starting in the 8th century. So since then, Christian states have spent hundreds and hundreds of years fighting to expel the Moors from the Iberian Peninsula. That whole campaign for those hundreds of years, that's the Reconquista. Okay. Um, the last Moorish kingdom in Spain was conquered uh, late 1400s. It was well, Granada, called Granada. Mm-hmm. So 
anti-Semitic sentiment is also on the rise right now. Um, during the reign of Henry III of Castile, which is 1390 to 1406, for those of you who didn't know, um, Jews uh, facing increasingly brutal persecution and laws passed against them. The Jewish community often faced choices between conversion and death. Um, the ones that did convert, they ended up being known as the conversos, which is just Spanish for converted. Yeah. But people were just suspicious and they thought they're just pretending and sure. they still weren't treated any better after converting. They just weren't dead. Um, yeah. And then, here we go. So, the marriage of, they were called the Catholic monarchs, Ferdinand II and Isabella I, mm-hmm. in 1469, united the kingdoms of Aragon and Castile. So, Ferdinand was of Aragon and Isabella was of Castile. Um, they brought, those apparently very big kingdoms, they brought those together and united them into these Spanish kingdoms. And uh, kind of a large imperial force. So it was actually Ferdinand and Isabella that requested the Inquisition from the church. Okay. In 1478, Pope Sixtus IV. No. Wait. Six or four? I know, right? Sixtus is an interesting name to have. Sixtus IV issued a papal bull. It's kind of getting fun to say. Um, Authorizing the Catholic monarchs to name inquisitors in order to enforce, like, a uniform religion across Spain and to expel the Jews from Spain. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, Pope can just totally totally do that. Um, No non-secular ruler has been given this power before. This is what's going to make the Spanish Inquisition much harsher and much different than the medieval Inquisitions, which is that all of a sudden the monarchy is getting involved and is being given power from the Pope, even though there's also power struggles between monarchies and the church as well. Um, so, you know, why did they do that? Why did they do that? Were Ferdinand and Isabella really concerned about Catholicism and Christianity and being overrun by Jews and Muslims? I mean, n- n- not really. <laughs> no, they were trying to use the Inquisition to increase and um, like kind of consolidate their power. Yeah. Um, the first Spanish inquisitors were so severe that Sixtus, Pope Sixtus, attempted to intervene and were blocked. He, he was blocked by Ferdinand and Isabella um, once they kind of realized how powerful this was going to be, their, their ability to wield this around. So um, in, 18, or in 1483, the Pope was actually convinced again by... Um, the monarchs and some other influential people to authorize the Spanish government to name a Grand Inquisitor as the head of the Inquisition. Okay. And the Grand Inquisitor, and eventually his Council of Five, had the power to name deputies and hear appeals, and they were in charge of everything. Um, Like just locally in Spain or globally? This is all in Spain. Okay. And then they could, like, set up an outpost in this city that would be like, this is the Castile Inquisition, like just like wherever all around Spain. Um, So this is actually something that sounded familiar once I looked it up. Tomas de Torquemada. Torquemada. Um, He was a Castilian Dominican friar, was the first grand inquisitor. He was infamously brutal. And like, yeah, Torquemada. I remember this name now that I've heard it, but um, his nickname was actually the Hammer of Heretics. Hmm. 
<laughs> yeah. So an estimated 2,000 people were burned at the stake during his tenure as Grand Inquisitor. But some people say that that number is grossly exaggerated and that 2,000 is the number killed under Queen Isabella. And Torquemada certainly didn't rule the whole time Isabella was on the throne. So okay. I don't know the exact number. Maybe 2,000, though. Um, Torquemada was not an unexpected pick. Everyone should have expected that, too. You see, <laughs> Torquemada was Isabella's regular confessor and personal advisor while she was still Princess Isabella. Okay, so there's a neptistic uh, He was here. her closest ally. He was the one that advised her to marry King Ferdinand of Aragon to consolidate their kingdoms. He was a little Rasputin-y. Yeah, mm-hmm. he wanted them to form this power base he could use for his own purposes. Right. Because he can't get married. Of course. But he can leech off other people's power and become more powerful. And that's totally what he wanted. He, Like I said, he was pretty Rasputin-y. Um, so after they married, Torquemada also became Ferdinand's confessor. Uh. So he was very powerful and very influential. And it's really no surprise they appointed him as the Grand Inquisitor. Since they get to choose. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, well, the Spanish Inquisition was about power. Yes, definitely power. Um, and authoritarian control. Um, can't have anyone be a different religion. That's totally out of control. Um, but also, like you were saying before, and like everything in the world, it is about money. But here is why it's about money. Well, beyond the normal greed thing. Uh, yeah, beyond because. So... After the fall of Granada, which we were saying before is the last Muslim territory on the Iberian Peninsula, Spain looks around and is thinking, we need some money to rebuild our whole country. We have been at war for hundreds of years. Right. We have destroyed all these Muslim areas, which just leaves us with piles of rubble and all that stuff. Um, we need money. Unconveniently, we've got a scapegoat. Isabella and Ferdinand were portraying the conversos, so those Jews that converted to Christianity, as a threat to the religious and social livelihood of Spain. And instead of taxing the Jews, they realized they could just take all their stuff. Yeah. Because who's going to stop them? Yeah. And so Torquemada convinces Ferdinand and Isabella to issue what's called the Alhambra Decree on March 31st, 1492. Which results in, again, sources differ, anywhere from 40,000 to 160,000 Jews being expelled from Spain and all their stuff and money stays. Um, so hey, now I know two things that happened in 19, or in 1492. In 1492, Columbus sailed the ocean blue. Oh. And then I didn't know that rhyme. Spain kicked the Jews out too. No, oh, you can't you rhyme two with two. It was in the first line. I don't know. I need a better rhyme. You think of one. I've already done my. I've done my part. Anyways, I know two things that happened in 1492. What an obscure year. Yeah. So, oh, I'm both Spanish. Anyways, uh-huh. that's not. Is Christopher Columbus Italian or Spanish? Oh man. I don't, I don't that know. That was also confusing. They were one nationality, and then they sailed for another nationality. Yeah, I think so. Okay, one day I should learn those things. So through the Treaty of Granada. Which was, you know, negotiated when the Christians uh, defeated the Moors. Um, in 1491, they clearly had mandated there was a protection of religious rights. Oh, good. Three months later, this Alhambra decree comes out. 
And, oh, look, Muslims are being forced to convert. And then they still had terrible things happen to them afterwards. But um, that went out the window. It only took three months. Surprised it took so long. Uh, but for Torquemada, though, it, it kind of started to go a little sideways when he started investigating members of the clergy for heresy. They didn't like that. So, um, yeah, same team, man. Come on. <laughs> You're not supposed to investigate our corruption. Ugh. So, so many clemency petitions were sent to the Pope. And is this Pope Alexander VI by now? That he finally became aware of Torquemada's severity is what it says in sources. But I think that's silly. I think it's more likely that he became aware enough other people knew about it that he was going to be forced to do something about it now. Right. His hand had been That's dipped. my interpretation of this. Okay. Um... He actually called the Spanish Inquisition's representatives to Rome three different times, trying to address what he felt the problem was. Um, and also, going back to that pesky money issue, Isabella and Ferdinand were starting to be concerned that too much money was being diverted diverted to the Holy See, the Holy Office. Right. And not enough was staying in Spain. So they, too, sent some protests to the Pope, which I don't know why the Pope would be like, oh, no, we're, we got too much money. So sorry, we'll rectify that. I don't know what they thought to accomplish, but um, didn't seem to matter. Torquemada had had a lot of power, kept him in his position, and then 1494, the Pope appoints him for assistant inquisitors. Um, and then he says publicly it's because of Torquemada's failing health, he just needs help to do the job. But most scholars suspect it was a, we'll say it's this, but I need people to watch you. Yeah keep you a little, <laughs> a little in control in control um so after 15 years as spain's grand inquisitor torquemada dies in the monastery september 16th 1498 and he's interred there which will come up again later okay so what was it like during the inquisition being caught in the inquisition uh what's the process like so it was pretty bad in the Spanish Inquisition especially, uh, as far as human rights goes. Not that that was a real concept yeah. um, back in the day, but people accused of heresy were forced to testify. If they didn't confess, then they'd be tortured. Execution was inevitable. Heretics weren't allowed to face their accusers. They received no counsel. People just falsely accused them, and evidence wasn't really necessary. Um, yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't great. So during the Spanish Inquisition, the procedure of trials was quite different from other inquisitions where people were just kind of arrested and tortured. There was a longer trial process for the Spanish Inquisition. Um, so the first step in the trial was a public reading of an Edict of Grace during High Mass, which gave the accused heretic 40 days to come forth and confess their sins. Um, sometimes it was followed by a second or third edict. Anyways, if you confessed... You are absolved of your sins. Um, but during the 40-day grace period, anyone could testify against you, including, you know, neighbors and relatives and criminals and anyone. Mm -hmm. If two people of good character testified against you, I don't know how they judged you, but if, if you had good character, your word was okay. worth more. If two people of good character testified against a heretic, then off to court, straight to court with you. Straight to trial. If the court found the statements then heretical, or if five people of any character testified against you, then you're imprisoned. 
including other people who were being tortured at the time? Any character. I don't know. Yes, I'm going to say yes. Within three days of the arrest, the prisoner gets a hearing and you get your last chance to confess and be reconciled. Um, well, that's what they said anyways, because if you didn't confess, then you had a second hearing and a third hearing. And then you would get tortured. So they gave you like, you know, lots of chances to decide to falsely confess and save yourself from torture. Not that you should have had to do that, but, um, the first step was called the ordeal by water. I don't want to get too much into the torture, but I'll just do a little bit here and then that's about all I'll be able to stomach. <laughs> So it's called the ordeal by water or the water cure, where water was forced down the suspect's throat, which led to extreme pain in the stomach and the impression of drowning. Mm-hmm. Um, I imagine it was much like waterboarding. Right. This, we, we know from the Inquisitor's records, because they kept really good records, that an ordinary ordeal was five liters of water and an extraordinary one was 10 liters. So... Your stomach can only hold like four liters of fluid. So this would be of torture, in fact. Mm-hmm. Yeah, be pretty terrible. So if that didn't lead to the confession, then they would use the rack. And you probably know that one. I don't want to talk about it. Mm-hmm. Um, so if repeated torture. There was some other ones. Again, I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> There's lots of articles if, if you're interested, though. Um, if all this torture didn't make you confess, then you were found guilty. And you were sentenced to death by being burned at the stake. Seems all reasonable. Uh-huh. Right? Right? Very That's the logical. obvious conclusion if you never confess is that you're guilty. That's obvious. Yeah. If you don't confess through this type of torture that we're talking about here, you're clearly guilty. Um, then they did like these mass executions of the heretics in, in like a public ceremony. Yeah. Which was called an auto de fe, which means act of faith in Portuguese. Um, these are huge ceremonies with a Catholic mass and a prayer and a public procession of the guilty party in like dress up in like clothes that had designs on them about their particular heresy. It's very interesting. Um, and you know, public reading of the sentences, this whole thing was done as not only embarrassment and shame for the, you know, people dying, but it was done as deterrence. Of course. They were of the opinion which I'm glad we have totally moved on from these days, that deterrence by harsh punishment is a, is a viable option. Um, it doesn't work. No. So speaking of auto de fe, it's actually alleged that Torquemada's tomb was robbed in 1832, two years before the Inquisition was finally ended. In 1834? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Get to that next line. Okay. So his bones were allegedly stolen and ritually incinerated in the same kind of manner as an auto de fe. So someone was making a statement. Um, Yeah. So as I've just alluded to, the Spanish Inquisition officially lasted a very, very, very long time. Mm -hmm. 1478 to 1834. Um, I mean, by the time Monty Python wrote their skit, everybody would have had to expect it by then. It happened for almost 400 years. Yeah, right? That's just another nail in the coffin. Everyone expected this. Um, okay, so we have a lot of years to cover, and I'm just I'm just going to hit the highlights and okay. do a bare, bare skim here. So the next Grand Inquisitor was Francisco Jimenez de Cisneros, and um, he went after the Muslim population just as hard as Torquemada, 
went after the Jewish population. Um, in 1526, the forced conversions began. Islam was officially banned in Spain by the decree of Philip III in 1609. Okay. By 1614, around 300,000 Spanish Muslims were expelled, though they had agreed to be baptized. Um, tens of thousands of them were executed for refusing to be expelled from Spain, but... The Protestant population was small in Spain, but it was also limited by the Inquisition as it was a threat. Mm-hmm. Um, having largely purged the country of the Jews and Muslims, um, the Spanish Inquisition then turns to prominent Roman Catholics. St. Ignatius of Loyola was twice arrested. Um, the Archbishop of Toledo, the Dominican Bartolome de Carranza, he was in prison for almost 17 years. Yeah, they just, like, you know, the infighting, everything just kind of, yeah. It was the brutality that, you know, Takamata kind of displayed diminished somewhat, but they continued the auto de fe's into the mid-18th century. Okay. Um, the Spanish Inquisition was actually uh, suppressed by the French. Oh. Yeah. Okay. So Joseph Bonaparte in 1808. Um, and then it was restored by Ferdinand VII in 1814 and then suppressed in 1820 by, I think, Napoleon. And then restored again in 1823 and then permanently finally stopped by Spanish Queen Regent Maria Cristina de Bourbon in 1834. Yeah. So not as long ago as you may have thought. No. Um. And as for the other nation state on the Iberian Peninsula, if you were clearly wondering about that, uh, yes, Portugal had a fairly major inquisition as well. So the Portuguese Inquisition, officially known as the General Council of the Holy Office of the Inquisition in Portugal, was formally established in Portugal in 1536. So a little bit later, okay. Also requested by its king, John III. Okay, for similar reasons? Every king just sounds like a... England name. Like, <laughs> all these kings and monarchs are all from the same places. It's so confusing. Yeah. Um, the, well, I, they don't go into um, the Portuguese Inquisition as much as the Spanish Inquisition. So, like, the exact motivations weren't super clear. But, um, you know, John III was given the same authority as uh, Ferdinand and Isabella. He was given that, you know, king authority to appoint a grand inquisitor. Uh, or, like, select the Grand Inquisitor, right. always from within the royal family. So definitely some kind of power and control. Yeah. You probably saw how well it worked, right, for the Spanish. Um, so the major target of the Portuguese Inquisition were the conversos, the ones secretly, you know, suspected of, produ- like, practicing Judaism. Um, and many of them were the Spanish Jews who had left Spain for Portugal <sighs> when the Spain were forcing them to convert. So um, yeah. they, yeah... Didn't have it great. Um, there is also persecution of other ethnicities and faiths, uh, such as a lot of like little African religions that were arriving in Portugal from the Atlantic slave trade. Okay. Voodoo and some other types of. Yeah. Um, anyways, they were really targeted for witchcraft and, and stuff with those religions. That doesn't sound shocking to me. No. Um, so in Portugal, the first Grand Inquisitor was a man named Diogo da Silva. He was the personal confessor of King John III and Bishop There's of Quaker. There's a trend there, yeah. Shocking. Yeah. They put their most trusted advisor, religious advisor, in the position, right? Um, the Portuguese Inquisition had its first auto de fe in 1540. 
And under John III, they extended the court's activity to censoring books. Um, they extended the kind of the heresy wasn't their only target. They were looking for divination and witchcraft and bigamy, specifically. Oh. I don't know why. Okay. guess it was an issue. Yeah. Um, so even though it was a religious thing, it really did change the political and cultural and social life of Portugal. Yeah. As you can see, everything's all tied together. There's really no way to separate all this religious discrimination from, you know, real life. Um, the other big inquisition in Europe was the Roman Inquisition. Okay. Which I have obviously heard of and you have heard of and you listeners have probably all heard of. I just didn't know it was called the Roman Inquisition because everyone's heard of Gal- Galileo getting in trouble with the Catholic Church. Yeah. That was part of the Roman Inquisition. Got it. Makes sense. Yeah. So in 1542, Pope Paul III creates the Supreme Sacred Congregation of the Roman and Universal Inquisition to combat Protestant heresy. They need to Those think Protestants. of shorter names. They do. Um, but it was much less harsh than the Spanish Inquisition. Um, though it did it did get exported to the Netherlands, where they kind of hunted down all the Lutherans and burned them at the stake. So that part was not less harsh. Um, the Roman Inquisition was originally designed to combat Protestantism in Italy. But it really outlived that purpose pretty early. And then it still lasted until the mid-18th century, um, and then the kind of pre-unification Italian states started to suppress the Inquisition. But it just kind of hung around. I think a lot of the Inquisitions hung around with less and less purpose and kind of just more vague aims and goals. Sure. Um, so there are two really famous victims of the Roman Inquisition. You've probably heard of the Galileo one, like I said. Yep. Um, I'm, I'm going to include Nicholas Copernicus, even though it was posthumously. Yeah, that, okay. So, it makes sense. Yeah. So just before his death in 1543, Nicholas Copernicus publishes a book called De Revolutionibus Orbium Colestium. So on the revolutions of the heavenly spheres. Yeah, about how we're a... About how the sun is the center. Yeah. And the earth is not. Yeah. And um, it was actually dedicated to Pope Paul III, who was very interested in astronomy. Okay. Yeah, they were okay with it at first. The, the church. You know, it's not the actual concepts that they're not okay with, right? It's the challenging of the norm and the power structures. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's not really the concepts. That's what you kind of it's the publishing when of the you book. look back in the history of religion. It's really not... No one's consistent with their concepts. Yeah. Yeah. So, in 1616... So, Corinthians has been dead since 1543... In 1616, the book is up for judgment by the Roman Inquisition. Um, they decide, of course, that the idea of the sun is immobile at the center of the universe, you know, and that Earth moves around it, anyways, is, quote, foolish and absurd in philosophy, formerly heretical and erroneous in faith. Um, by the way, these are all exact quotes because the documents from the Inquisition were just made public in 2014 by the Italian government. Um, oh, really? So, yeah, it's cool. So this led to the banning of Copernicus's On the Revolutions of the Heavenly Spheres. It was placed on the Index Liborum Prohibitorum, which is the Index of Forbidden Books. Yeah. The Spanish Inquisition would actually use the Roman Inquisition's Index of Forbidden Books to launch their very own and very restrictive banned books list in their own Inquisition. Um, so Galileo, as you may know, Galileo Galilei was tried by the Inquisition in 1633. And uh, no, in those 
intervening 17 years, the Inquisition had not changed their views on heliocentrism. Um, they, <laughs> Galileo was found vehemently suspect of heresy and forced to recant statements he made. I don't know which ones or how many of them, but, and then, you know, he was um, under house arrest at his villa in Arcteri near Florence for the rest of his life. Yep. His book, Dialogue Concerning the Two Chief World Systems, which is what created the most issue for the Inquisition, was also placed on the Index of Forbidden Books. Um, so Italian historian Andrea del Col estimated that they actually judged up to 75,000 cases in the Roman Inquisition, um, about 1,250 death sentences. Okay, that doesn't seem like as big of a percentage as I would have thought. Yeah. Um so the last little tidbits here, as you may remember, Spain and even Portugal were very colonial empire building yeah. type places. And so as Spain's empire grows, of course, so did the Inquisition. The Mexican Inquisition was established in 1570 where they were burning Lutherans at the stake. The Peru, Peruvian or Inquisition um, they tortured and burned the Protestants there, you know. Um, the Portuguese Inquisition expanded to Brazil and Cape Verde and Goa in India. Um, there was tons of little Inquisitions in all the colonies around. Um, I, I didn't think of that, but it, but it makes sense. Um, so to me, the Goa Inquisition was the in, an interesting one because first, I didn't know that Portugal had Indian colonies. Yeah. So Goa was the westernmost of Portugal's Indian colonies. Um, the real issue there was, again, the Jews and the Muslims. Can't have always. those. So <laughs> Christians on the Iberian Peninsula were always just so worried that the Jews and the Muslims would team up because in the past they'd show that they were willing to team up to fight against Christians. So that's scary and dangerous. Um, and so crypto-Jews or crypto-Muslims, they called them, which, you know, Hidden. still practicing their own religion, but yeah. pretending to have converted, um, were migrating to Goa from Portugal to get away from the persecution. Because it's almost like they were kicked out of Spain into Portugal and then out of Portugal again. And now they're going to try this other place. Um, I don't know why they went to a Portuguese-owned colony but maybe they had no other place to go i don't know um and then the jesuit missionary francis xavier is in goa Uh, you didn't grow up catholic that that name okay the he's a he's a big deal okay sfx in in the maritimes that university that's saint francis xavier anyways he's a big deal in catholic circles um he requests the goa inquisition um, be set up in 1546 to deal with all these false converts showing up. Or did he? Apparently, some sources think that this is a myth and he didn't request the Inquisition. Um, but re- either way, it began in 1560 in Goa, and they actually convicted like 1,600 people, and half of those were just offenses related to Judaism and Islam, so... Yeah, they really said they were going to stay in their Catholic lane, and they did a great job of that, didn't they? Yeah. So, to end it off, I'm going to give you some fun or maybe unfun facts about the Inquisitions, because sure. I don't know how fun this is, but um, the last person to be put to death by the Inquisition on charges of heresy was a school teacher who was accused of being a deist, 
How dare he? He was strangled to death in 1826. That's a terrible way to die. Wow. Um, buried in a wooden barrel painted with flames so they could simulate an auto de fe. So apparently it's so hard to just burn someone in a mm. barrel. They're already in a barrel. Just lay it on fire. What the heck? I don't know. So, strictly speaking, the Inquisition still exists within the bureaucracy of the Roman Catholic Church. Because it's been renamed several times, but technically the same office or something. Anyways, now it's known as the Sacred Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith. Okay. A cardinal who recently directed that department became Pope Benedict XVI in 2005. Yeah, I remember him. Yeah. Last, maybe my last fun fact? Yeah. Last fun fact. The phrase, the third degree, giving someone the third degree. You know what that means, right? Do you know what that means? Well, like scrutiny or like really pushing your point to a pretty extreme. Pushing your interrogation to an extreme is what it means. Yeah. Technically. Which I'm assuming has to do with the number of trials before torture. Kind of. Close. You're, You're on the right track here. So... Yes, the third degree is a phrase that we use for harsh, insistent questioning, interrogation type of thing. Um, This phrase originates with the Inquisition. So, inquisitors were allowed to subject an accused heretic to questioning under torture, according to a scale with five degrees of severity. The first degree was stripping off their clothes and displaying the instrument of torture to them. Hmm. The second degree was torture, but for no longer than the time it took for the Inquisitor to recite a single Ave Maria or Our Father. Can you imagine praying while torturing someone? That just seems so offensive if there was an actual God that loved anyone. Anyways, um, (laughs) the third degree allows the torturer to torment the victim in earnest with no time limits. I don't want to tell you what the fourth and fifth degree are. Gross. So that's where we get the phrase, the third degree. Got it. Even though we don't tend to use it for torture these days. Well, I can see the root of that, where that comes from. So, in closing, in conclusion, yes, they did expect the Spanish Inquisition. Pope Lucius III declares the first Inquisition in 1184, Mm -hmm. nearly 300 years before the creation of the Spanish Inquisition. And the use of torture was authorized for inquisitors in 1252. I mean, the Reconquista brought, you know, Moorish Spain under the control of the Christian kings. And Jews and Muslims had to convert. There was a lot of religious tension. There was a lot of persecution. There was inquisitions already. There was torture already. And so, and thus, the Spanish Inquisition should not, and I hope did not, surprise anybody. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I enjoyed learning about this. It's very interesting, but as with many of these topics, there is a ton more information that if you're interested, you should look into. Um, next episode, I, I miss animals and like science. So next episode, I am going to talk to you about cave animals. Cool. So yeah, if you find that interesting, uh, tune in in a few weeks to our podcast. Thank you so much for spending this time with us and listening to Teach Me Something. Once again, I'm Melissa. And I'm Everett. And I hope you learned something new. Mm